Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Derek, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network. We are here with episode 59 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. We have Josh Crawford, the man, the myth, the legend, here with us again. We have a little bit of a different episode um, this time around in that we are not solely focused on football. We've got some SU hoops to talk about. So uh, we're going to dive into all of that, but we will start with um, Josh. A There was a football game Saturday night, and... It's really about all I got to say about it. 38-3, to three, Florida State dominated from start to finish. <laughs> I mean, from a Syracuse perspective, there really wasn't much else to talk about. Um, it it looked – they looked outmatched right from the start, from the very first series on both sides of the ball. It was way too easy for Florida State. Um, just dominated the Orange in their own building. What were, what were your thoughts on – the way that it all unfolded in the dome finale. Basketball is back and bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, bet online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, that's about as disappointing and embarrassing performance that that team could have put up with all that had on the line with all the guys, fun, fun foundational guys that's leaving that program, that last game will be in the dome, like you said. And, um, you know, for a team that is not that is not 35 points more talented than you. Um, you know, I've been a big believer in this team's veteran leadership and, you know, ability to fight through adversity. And, you know, with all the four game loser streak and getting embarrassed and a lot of your, Big guys last home game. I gotta officially drop that. Like this is not a team that's able to fight through adversity. Obviously, this is not a team with a lot of a depth of veteran leadership because you know at this point a team with those things with those characteristics, even if they had lost to Florida State, would have put up more fight in in the uh, in the midst of this four game losing streak. So um you know my my favorite quarterback Gary Strader has a little bit to do with that. But you know honestly it is more about you know Gary Strader doesn't play a snap of defense and didn't allow any of those thirty eight points. So for, you know, even though I I am ripping my mob shirt, you know, that's again, for a a lot of these guys that own this shirt 
to have been involved in the in that happening. You know, that's this, that's embarrassing, and um, you know, really lets you know what type of mindset this team, what type of place and mindset this team is at right now. Yeah, and and it's not the fact that they lost, uh, because it you know if you look back at the previous three games, obviously, despite the fact that the Clemson game it was what it was in the fourth quarter, they controlled large portions of that game. It was a very competitive game. If you go to the Notre Dame game, yes, Notre Dame ran the ball all over the place. Um, but, you know, Syracuse made a little bit of a run in the fourth quarter and, and had it, um, you know, within uh, seven points, ten points, whatever it was, in the fourth quarter. So they were still within striking distance. So that wasn't a game where it was a dominant from start to finish, even though the score ends up looking lopsided. The Pittsburgh game. Uh, yeah, the offense didn't show much, but the defense kept you there the whole game. And so the outcome was still in doubt uh, really up until late in the fourth quarter because the defense kept Syracuse in that game. It was still competitive, even with the ugliness of that offensive performance. This game was different than all of those. It was complete and utter dominance from start to finish no hope, really nothing positive for Syracuse in that game on either side of the ball. And it was really the first time all season to me that it looked like they didn't want to be there. Um, the, the energy from the team wasn't there almost not to say that they didn't think they could win, but you know, it, they looked like when each of all of the other games even the three that they lost, the way that they were playing, their attitude on the field and the sidelines, like they expected to win. It, it didn't have that same feel to me in this one. No, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not on the sideline. I could be way off. But just from my um, observable perspective, from my eyes, right, it didn't look the same. And to your point with the veteran leadership, that's where it's disappointing. If, if they lost this game, you know, 38 to 31, 38 to 27, you know, something like that, then you say, yeah, they've lost four games in a row. Um, you could argue that they probably should have won two or three of them. Um, it's frustrating, but hey, they're still competing. They're still fighting. There's two winnable games left on the schedule. Let's see, you know, what happens. Um, this this wasn't that. This was, as we said, the opposite of that. And it's, you know, it the the issues at Syracuse under Dino Babers in November have been discussed at length. Right, his his record in November is pretty poor. He's had one November in I think this is I don't remember if this is year six or seven, whatever it is. Um, he said one November where they had a winning record. They've lost nine straight games after October. Wow. After Halloween. And over the That's last dating back to two just, or three just years. the last season? I'm about to say, is that the three seasons? I think it goes season. back to 2020. I know it's obviously this year in 2021. I think it goes back into 2020. Um, so nine straight losses after October. Now, each of those seasons, you can look at it and say, well, they had key injuries here, 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 and here. But at some point, when you keep, you can't get through a whole season without being healthy, without getting catastrophic injuries that don't allow you to be competitive anymore, there's another problem somewhere. 
I don't know what it is, but this isn't happening to every team across the country. So there's, I don't know whether it's a strength and conditioning approach. I don't know whether it's a field turf at the dome issue. I don't know um, what the issue is, but you know, we, we know that Syracuse generally is not an overly deep team. And we know that that depth gets tested every single year due to injuries, but there's frankly too many injuries. And even despite that, not being competitive at all in after the calendar turns from Halloween into November, every single year is a problem. It, it is. And, you know, Syracuse is, I don't, lucky is probably the wrong word, but at least they're already bowl eligible. Right. So they're not having to try to figure out a way to scrap and claw and win one of these last two games in order to get there. Um, and I still think at the end of the day, even if you lose all six games, it's going to be disappointing in, in one respect. It's still largely you hit the goal. Now, the goals change once you started six and zero, but you, you, hit, you hit the preseason goal. So I, I still think there's things you can build off of with that. But. You know, I, I think they got to figure out a way to win one of these last two games. But there's there's no question that the trend is it seems to have gone from bad to worse. And it's basically been since halftime of the Clemson game, other than Carlos Del Rio Wilson sparking the offense in, for a few possessions against Notre Dame, the offense has stunk. It's been bad. It was it, they didn't score at all against Clemson. Um, they had three points in the first half against. I'm sorry, they, they had seven points I think in the first half against Notre Dame. Um, they didn't score a touchdown against Pittsburgh. Only had three field goals. Didn't score a touchdown against Florida State. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Now, the quarterback situation, I think, plays a large part of that. But here's, here's my problem. Yes, Garrett Schrader is hurt. He's not healthy. If his injury doesn't allow him to be mobile, can't play. Shouldn't be playing. My and now, not to cut you off, but that that aspect of his mobility is a far larger impact on his game versus a guy like um, Aiden O'Connell or even Jordan Travis because he's not the most accurate and he's not the guy with you know accurate deep ball and he's not the guy that makes the precise throws like a Tom Brady. So do you saying that just to add on the fact that you know it should they should be taking even more precaution because they know that a lot of his value is tied in what he can do with his legs. Yeah, that, that's what makes him um, a dangerous weapon and all the improvement that he's made as a passer is fantastic. But he's still not a Power 5 Division One starting quarterback strictly as a thrower of the football with zero mobility. His mobility makes his throwing ability 
which isn't fantastic that much better because teams have to worry about him hurting them with his legs. And you take that away and people basically say, all right, we're going to take Tucker away. You beat us with your arm and only your arm when we don't have to worry about your legs. And Syracuse has proven they can't move the ball with him at the quarterback position that way. So they didn't in the second half against Clemson. They didn't in the first half against Notre Dame. And they didn't all game against Florida State. Even when they were given a short field from a turnover. Couldn't move the ball. Um, didn't even score points off. So all of that said is to say if he can't get healthy so that he can move around and make plays with his legs, then to me, the smartest decision is to play Carlos Del Rio Wilson. Say, here you go, kid. These last two regular season games are yours because Garrett is not going to be healthy. And um, depending on when and where the bowl game is, we'll play that by ear, see how healthy he can get because we'll, you know, we should have at least a couple of weeks off. So that's how I would approach it if I was running things. Um, now, obviously, the coaching staff has is privy to more information than I am, than I have, but um, I can only base my opinion based off of what I see and what I observe. So that's that's what I'm going with. Now, and the information that they're going to give us, because again, it, right. the more information we have at our disposal, you no know, need to be speculated or you know kind of wonder if he's going to be the quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing that we know about Garrett Schrader from an injury standpoint is that he has an out. That's what we know. He has an out. <laughs> that's the official word. That's all we know. Now we can see that he doesn't look right and him not looking right looks because of a leg injury, which is why he can't move, but we don't know that for sure. That's just what our guess based on what we observe. Um, that said, how do they turn it around against Wake Forest? Now, the thing with Wake Forest is they're having their own November issues. Um, I actually read some stuff about how they have kind of had similar issues um, under Coach Clawson at Wake Forest in November and beyond. And they're coming into this game having lost two straight. Um, they've they have struggled defensively all season. They don't run the ball particularly well. So there's some things about this matchup that I think are more favorable to Syracuse than each of the last four games. So if you can just be decent against the run, given that they don't run the ball a ton, they throw the ball a lot more than they run it. That plays into Syracuse's strengths defensively. Now, if you can get a little bit of pressure on Sam Hartman, then, you know, perhaps the defense has a game that, that gives you a chance to win offensively. Um, again, Wake Forest hasn't been great defensively this year. But you have to have a quarterback that is going to keep defenses honest and from stacking the box against Sean Tucker. I, that's why I think Carlos Del Rio Wilson should be the guy in this game. Um, I know he struggled mightily against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has a defensive line that is, that's been good for most of the year. They're good at pressuring the quarterback. 
Um, and they had been playing good football coming into that game. Wake Forest doesn't have the same thing. So your offensive line perhaps could be better in this game than what they had been um, the last, you know, three, four games. And if he can complete a couple of passes early, we've seen the arm talent with a couple of throws that he's made, and you go, okay, um, just looks different than what we've seen the last few years. And if he can connect on a couple of those early, now it opens everything up because Wake now suddenly has to account for that in addition to what Sean Tucker can do. So, you know, I think Syracuse's best chance in this game is to throw the young kid out there, um, you know, make some adjustments defensively, hope that you can get a turnover or two on the road, and see if you can get the ball into Sean Tucker's hands 25 times a game in the game and see if he can, you know, bust out some big runs against a defense that has been susceptible to big plays. And, and, you know, you, you should be able to be more competitive. Um, that's, that's what I'm looking for. If I'm a Syracuse fan in, in terms of how do they turn that, as you said, embarrassing performance against Florida state, how do they turn it around and are more competitive, whether they win or lose, uh, against Wake Forest. How, how do you see them approaching this game in order to try to do that? Um, like you said, you know, like Wake, uh, and uh, in contradiction to your 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 best friend Bomani Jones, I think momentum, <laughs> especially at this time of year, plays a big factor in the guys' mindsets and you know ability to lose games. So you know, not that I ever root against student athletes, but it is comforting to see that at least. Wake Forest is not coming in hot, or at least on a similar down slot like issue. But um, you know, like you talk about Wake Forest, you know they have their quote unquote basketball school as well. So for us, that means less physical, not the same level of talent and physicality in the front seven and in the trenches as a Florida State, as a Clemson, as a Notre Dame that we've been seeing recently. So I think with that, I think that Sean will be able to get a little bit, will be able to shake a little bit more, even with a loaded box. It's not four- and five-star guys chasing them down. There's guys that, you know, he'll be able to make this. Guys that hopefully the offensive line will be able to get a lot more push on. And, again, we don't know if Sean Tucker is going to come back. So, you know, every carry could be, um, you know, is, is an interview for NFL scouts. And I know he'll want to maximize that, you know, with a you know slightly disappointing season um, that he's had so far. Um, and then the last thing I'll say before, you know, we, can we may need to table this discussion until next fall, but – you talked about throwing Carlos out there. I think I can count that as a coming around on him. Um, and I think my perspective is, you know, it may be, what, seven games too late. But who to say that a 100% healthy Carlos Daria Wilson is not better than 100% healthy Garrett Schrader? So, you know, I'll just throw that out there for you. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't think you and I are going to be on the same page on that. But, that I mean, that's okay. Because um, I think if Garrett Schrader is 100%, I don't think there's a question he should be starting. But And and I know that you don't necessarily agree with that. And that's fine. Uh, we can disagree on that. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm always intrigued by the young guy with more talent. So even if I think, even if my opinion is, yeah, I think Garrett Schrader should be the guy, if they threw Carlos Del Rio Wilson out there day one, I mean, I'd be intrigued as heck watching that. Honestly, I would. Because I think long term for him um it would it would have been better for him to kind of go through the whole season as the guy go through some growing pains develop you know i think all of that would help him um and 
his ceiling is certainly higher than Garrett's. I don't think there's any question about it. I'm not going to argue with you about that at all. Um, but either way, they've got two games left. Um, Garrett isn't healthy. I, I don't, to me, it should be an easy decision to start Carlos right now. You know, I'd, I'd love to be having a conversation with you about um, Garrett started the season, went three and oh, got hurt. Carlos came in, played lights out, went four and one. Um, now Garrett's healthy again. Carlos has been playing really well. Who do you start? And we can have a debate between two quarterbacks who have been playing well, right? That mean, and, and we can have our own opinions and we don't have to agree and all that's fine. Instead, we've got um, a quarterback who struggled mightily in his first start the last time we saw him and a quarterback who hasn't been healthy for a few weeks. And when he's been out there has been struggling mightily. So if you're Syracuse right now, you're feeling like I don't I don't know how confident Brock need hard place. Yes, exactly. But um now it's time to change gears into Syracuse basketball. And unfortunately, my friends, that does not mean that the conversation is going to become more upbeat <laughs> because for the second year in a row, after sixty years of not losing to Colgate. Syracuse has now lost to Colgate back-to-back in back-to-back years. Jim Beheim had never lost to Colgate his entire coaching career in 40-some-odd years and then loses to him two years in a row. And if this is indeed his last year, he's going to end, and, and we don't know, but there is some you know speculation that it could be. If this ends up being his last year, um, it's, it's just interesting that the team that he's beaten the most during his career he's going to end with a two-game losing streak against. It's, I mean, that's it's sports. It's weird. Stuff like that happens. But um, either way, this year's team, this was a game that, you know, early on kind of looked like it was going to be a back and forth. Um, Syracuse looked a little bit more athletic, a little quicker. Colgate looked more comfortable playing together. And then Colgate got hot. Just like last year, Colgate got hot from the outside. Um, they made half their threes for the whole game, made 18 of them. Um, their game plan was basically move the ball around the perimeter, find an open three and take it. And um, they did it successfully. Now, Syracuse held Colgate to 20 fewer points than Colgate had last year. Last year they had 100, this year they had 80. Um, so I guess, you know, 20% improvement on your defense. I, I guess that's, that's good. Um, but, you know, the percentages were still bad offensively there wasn't a lot of flow and a lot of rhythm um defensively whether they played man or zone they just looked lost and my whole thing is if you're a program of the caliber and the stature of Syracuse Syracuse basketball is a brand that means something um or it has anyway and you're supposed to be a prestigious program and I still think they are but you're a prestigious program losing to a team like Colgate once. I mean, you know, it happens, right? Duke has lost to Longwood in the NCAA tournaments, nonsense like that. Right. Um, Kentucky loses to Stephen F. Austin. I mean, stuff like that, but they're not losing to those teams multiple years in a row and getting blown out by them at home. They're close games where someone throws up a miracle shot at, and wins the game on something weird. This is games where Syracuse has lost two years in a row, 
by double figures each year. It was 15. It was a 15 point game last season. It's a 12 point game this year. It could have been 20 this year if they basically didn't call the dogs off. Um, it, it, and Colgate should not be calling the dogs off against. I was them. about to say you say that phrase wild. Uh, and and now listen, make no mistake about it. Colgate's Colgate's a good team. They've got good players. They're an NCAA tournament team. They're going to win their league. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, and and it's going to be I don't know three four years in a row that they've that they've gone to the tournament. Whatever it is, they're a good team. Their coach is really good. Do they develop players really well? Um, but it, it doesn't matter. Syracuse should have better players regardless of how good Colgate is. And Syracuse should be beating them. And if and you, you would think that them, Syracuse has a coaching advantage regardless of how good right. Colgate's coaching is. Right. And it you shouldn't be losing by double figures when you do lose. You know, that they should be games that come down to the wire because Colgate happens to be really good that year. You know what? That happened with Syracuse and Cornell. Cornell had some really good teams. They had a team that went to the Sweet 16 one year. Um, and and gave Kentucky a run for their money in the Sweet 16. Um, and those Cornell teams played Syracuse tough, and they were, you know, one to two possession games most of the way, and Syracuse would kind of pull away late and win by 8, 10, 12 points. That's kind of what should happen when Colgate has one of their really good teams. That's what should happen when you're Syracuse. Um, that said, this team has some issues. They have young players who don't fully understand what it means to, to play defense at the Division One high major level. Uh, too much standing around and staring at wide open shooters that you know are good shooters that with the scouting report and game plan was don't let those guys shoot. Too much of that. Offensively, um, not enough rhythm, cohesion, movement, too much of... Judah Mintz playing one-on-one, which he can do, and he's really good. He had 20 points. I mean, he's he's a really good offense player. Um, but they need more than Judah Mintz and Joe Girard offensively. I don't think they're going enough to Jesse Edwards inside. And then they need some of their other young complementary players, the Chris Bells, the um, Justin Taylors, the Quadir Copelands, to be uh, complementary offensive players that can give you something. And none of them are giving you much right now offensively. So it's pretty much Syracuse relying on those three guys, Edwards, Gerard, and Mintz, to do a, a vast majority of the scoring, and they need a little bit of help. Um, now, Benny Williams had a solid game offensively in this one, um, but he still isn't aggressive enough on the boards, I don't think. And that's the other thing. Syracuse got out-rebounded by Colgate. Now, part of that is because Colgate made a lot of their shots and Syracuse missed a lot of their shots. So it's obviously easier to get defensive rebounds than it is to get offensive rebounds. That certainly plays a role. But still, Syracuse is bigger and more athletic at nearly every position on the floor and was, frankly, the the boards were completely controlled by Colgate, the smaller, less athletic team perceived on paper. So I definitely think that this raised some concerns with Syracuse and how they approach uh, the season moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of answers. I, I think very alarming. Um, you know, they've got a lot of young players that can improve. But, you know, this, this year's team was supposed to be different, better, 
more fun to watch than last year's team. And against basically the same opponent, you had the same game repeat itself. So I, I, I don't really know what to do with that from this point. I mean, not to continue the DeAndre Downer sentiments, but, you know, college basketball, again, I, I reference what you know. Penny Hardaway learned this lesson the hard way in a non-Power 5 conference in the American that, you know, and I think hopefully Jim Beheim knows this or he should know this after almost half a century in college basketball. Age, experience, not talent is really what rules college basketball. So coming into this year, you had, you know, by your two youngest guys, two, I mean, not two, you got six-man recruit class, two of your most high-profile young guys, you know, Benny and Judah, you know, were the biggest X factors. You know, you relied upon Judah as a freshman, the star, the, the crown jewel of the freshman class to be a major contributor. And a lot of people, you know, everybody expected and needed a big jump from Benny from his horrendous, you know, freshman year. So the biggest thing for me in watching the highlights and just getting the feel for the game is that, you know, those guys combined for, I think, almost over 30 points, 35 points, 2017, good maths. They all combined for almost 40 points, and yet that wasn't enough to push issue to a win. Again, like I said, uh, as much as we respect, you know, hashtag FCS Sports, uh, a Lehigh um, a Patriot League team that, um, you know, wouldn't have seen C.J. McCollum and Lehigh back in the day. So, you know, that is very concerning because you got veterans on the team like J.G., like Jesse Edwards, and in John College basketball, you're supposed to be worried about Judah and Benny more than those guys because your veterans are supposed to be the guys that show the freshman the way, show be able to show you what is consistently how to play defense at an ACC level, how to consistently be there in night in and night out. And but yet, through the first game, we're looking at Benny and Judah like keep doing what you're doing, and we're look, we're looking at JG and Jesse like where are you guys at? And you know, you talk about alarms. That's the biggest alarm for me that your two oldest guys, your two veteran leaders, drop a stinker in the first game, and you like you said. You can't use the excuse of not knowing how important this game is because you lost it last year. So that's, you know, I try to be optimistic. I, as much as I, I'm not a homer yet, I do care about SU athletics. But, man, that's – man, losing to the two-pace is wild. And, and so the, the natural question is um, what hope would there be for Syracuse fans if this isn't going to be a repeat of last year? And it isn't going to be battling with 500 all season and, you know, potentially a losing season again. Um, and here's, here's what I would tell you. One, they haven't been outstanding so far this season at running the offense through Jesse Edwards. And when they were good last season, that's what they were doing. They Jesse Edwards was the focal point of a lot of things, kind of playing inside out. And he was a difference maker defensively. Now, his difference making on the defensive end is minimized because Cornell basically decided we're playing outside. We're only playing outside. We're rarely going inside. And even despite that, Jesse had five blocks in this game, despite the fact that Cornell was launching threes all game. So I think your hope is that he can still be a difference maker defensively. You've got guys like Judah Mintz and um, Chris Bell and Benny Williams that are and and, you know, Copeland and Taylor, et cetera, that are more athletic than the guys that you had last year. 
yes, those guys are young, but to think that they're a finished product and they're not going to improve throughout the course of the year, I think is naive. We've seen Jesse Edwards improve year to year within a season, um, each of the last two, three years. So to think that other guys can't do similar things, um, you know, I think would be a little bit naive to just basically say they are what they are. There's not going to be any improvement. So your hope is that those guys can improve defensively with Jesse in the middle and with, um, you know, Judah gaining a little bit more experience, putting some more pressure on the ball um, and Benny being a little bit more aggressive that they can get better defensively to better combat a team like Colgate that's going to focus on the perimeter. So moving forward, I think that's one spot where you can um, have some encouragement. Offensively, you're not expecting to have a lot of games where Joe Girard's going to be four for 15 from the floor. Um, it's going to be tough to win when he's shooting that way. The positive is that Benny Williams, who had a lot of questions about him coming into this season, had a really good game offensively in this one. Um, he was six for 12 shooting at 17 points, eight boards, made a three pointer, made all of his foul shots. So that's, I think, a positive step forward. 17 points from Benny Williams. If, if you're getting double figures from him on a regular basis, you feel like that means your offense is going to be pretty good getting in the 70s on a regular basis. Um, again, Judah Mintz had had 20 points. He's averaging 18 points a game through two games. He is as advertised. He can score pretty much at will. Um, like I said, Jesse Edwards only had six shots. He had 10 points. He has to be a, a larger part of your offense. He can get some easy looks at the rim. Um, he can do a lot of things. Um, you can run a lot of things off him with pick and roll stuff and, and things like that. Um, and as I said, Joe Girard's got to be more efficient. He's got to shoot better, take better shots. You expect as a veteran guard that, that that will be better. And then for the offense to really take another step forward they need someone else and it doesn't have to be one person all the time it can be a different person each night but they need chris bell to give them something offensively they need someone whether it's um samir torrance quadir copeland um, justin taylor some one of those guys has to give them something on the offensive end scoring wise um off the bench or, you know, in the case of Chris Bell, in a complimentary role, making open shots when they're there for him. So I think because they've got a bunch of those young guys in those roles, that there is room for growth and improvement. Now, the good thing is, coming up on their schedule, you've got a Northeastern team on Saturday that's not very good. Syracuse, they're 0-3. Syracuse is going to win that game pretty comfortably. Um, Nor Northeastern's not good. <clears throat> they've lost to Boston, Providence, and Harvard. That's not Boston College, that's Boston University that, that I'm talking about here. And um, they're not a great three-point shooting team. They're shooting 31% on the season as a team. R after that, you play a Richmond team that has really struggled to shoot the ball this year. Now, you're going to have some challenging games after that. You're going to play either... Um, a Temple team or a St. John's team after you play Richmond. Um, and then in a couple games after that, you play at Illinois in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So, yes, there's challenging games coming up, but there's also games that even with the issues Syracuse has, um, it's not the most daunting schedule. 
So there's room for some of those young guys to get some valuable experience. If you're a Syracuse fan and you don't want to give up on the season two games into it, those are the things that you're going to cling to in hopes that things do get better moving forward. No, that's a fact. And like you said, like, you got, you know, God, like, I believe as much as age, experience, wins out of college basketball, the best college basketball teams have NBA talent, usually multiple NBA talent. That's how a guy like John Calipari, you know, honestly revolutionized how guys are acquired at the college basketball level. You know, you know, as much as we all love the Bay Times and, you know, all the different grad guys that got in the portal last year, I think that, you know, one Judah Mintz, you know, I don't want to say in totality is better, but more dynamic. I'll definitely go for that. And his ability to get stuff off the dribble, not be a stationary guy, not have to, in the way that he, even for Buddy and Joe, that yet the run sets for him. He's a guy like, yeah, y'all guys, y'all four guys, none on the, that side of the court, and I'm going to go get a shot. It's not going to be an efficient shot. It may not always be, you know, a shot that best with the offense, but you've seen how he's already the best offensive player on the team after the first game. And he seems to be able to, we, we saw him coming in, elite high school guy. His, his, his MO was, Get to my spots, knock down tough shots, and he's doing it this far, yep. so far. So I think that you talk, you want to talk about positivity. I think that solely based on that reason, the ceiling is higher for you know this team because a Judah Miss looks like an NBA guard through had three games, two exhibitions, three games, two exhibitions, and you know guards run college basketball. A guy like Trey Young came from kind of off the radar his draft class, twenty eighteen. To a top five pick as a smaller guard. We see smaller guards run college basketball all the time, especially during tournament time. So the fact that Judah Mintz seems to be an NBA caliber smaller guard uh, for Syracuse, that should bode well for, you know, the recipe for a guy like Malik Richardson, you know, struggling regular season, but sneaking the tournament and really heat up. Because Judah Mintz is that type of guy that, you know, if he gets hot enough, can carry an offense for a game or a stretch of games. So we want to add positivity. That can be a positive sign. Yeah, there's there's no question. And as far as John Calipari, um, you know, he'll he'll still be the first college coach in or the first coach in college basketball history uh, to have a salary cap. So that's that's always a good thing. So um, <laughs> as I as I piss off all Kentucky fans. But anyway, uh, and Josh, you know, you know, Memphis and Calipari got big. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they sure do. They sure do. Uh you know, when someone takes Derrick Rose's SATs for him. but And DeMarcus Cousins and Eric Blesso and the best recruit class in Memphis. My bro, we only got two minutes in the month. Off topic, but um, that that could be a fun, you know, off topic pod. But that'll do it for episode 59 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman Sausage Company and Bet Online. For Josh Crawford, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.